Well, welcome to New Life Christian Church. Did you see the photo op opportunity we have out there? I know it's a little bit chilly out there for you, but uh, I hope you'll take your picture. I'll show you a picture that we took. Um, This is my family. We took this last night before church. Now, isn't that a beautiful crew that I get to do life with? Check that out. This is my crew, and and we took our picture out there, and and I want to encourage you to take your picture as well. It's just a keepsake for this day and with your family. And if you feel so led, you want to post that online and tag our church, we would not stop you either from doing that. But we hope that you will uh, enjoy this, and and our team set that up, and it's it's just an awesome. We'll put that's definitely a refrigerator picture for our family. Well, if this is your very first time to ever be in our building today, then let me just extend to you a very special welcome. I am so thankful that you're here. Let me introduce myself. My name is Joe Williams, and I've got to be the pastor here at this church for the last seven and a half years. And I'm gonna tell you, the seven and a half fastest years of my life have been serving as the leader of this church, and I'm just so glad you're here. I wanna personally invite you to come back next week, because we're going to do this all over again next Sunday, and I'd love for you to be here. In fact, if you're new to the area and you are looking for a church, I know how difficult that can be. I hope the Lord leads your search to finalize right here with ours, because we'd love for you to be here. And I I can't tell you just how excited we are about uh, where the Lord is taking us, and to tell you that you could not be looking for a church at a more exciting time in this church's history. Because we're getting ready to start a new chapter in this church's history. And I'm really pleased to tell you that next month, barring any unforeseen complications, and we don't see any, next month, in the month of May, we are going to be breaking ground on our brand new 21,000 square foot facility out on the west side of Bella Vista. And we couldn't be more excited about that. I want to tell you about it real quick. The new bypass that they built around Bella Vista that opened a few months ago, this church is gonna be built right at the Highlands Boulevard exit. I mean, it is right there, right on the exit. You can't miss it. We have signs out there already. And I think that'd be of great interest to many of you. And when that building is built, it's gonna be finished sometime in the summer of 2023. And when that's done, we're gonna be, at that point, what's called a multi-site church. In other words, it'll be one church meeting in two locations. So this is still, we're gonna still be meeting here in this facility that has served our church family for over four decades and nothing's gonna change there. And then we're gonna have this other facility out on the west side and just to give our our church broader wingspan to reach more and more people for the good news of Jesus. And I, I hope that you'll come be a part of that with us. It's just an exciting, exciting adventure that we're on. Well, it is Easter Sunday, and many people say that Easter is the most important day of the year for Christians. Well, why do they consider Easter the most important day of the year for Christians? Well, that was a question that a Sunday school teacher asked her elementary kids in church one day. In fact, it was the week before Easter, and and she asked her class, who can tell me why Easter is the most important day, and and what happened on Easter that makes it so important? And one little kid's arm shot up like this, and so I know what Easter is. Easter is when we get together with our family and we eat turkey and we talk about the pilgrims. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's not it. That's not it at all. Does anybody else know? Another kid, arm went up. So Easter is when we put a tree in our living room and decorate it and put lights on it and put presents under the tree and we sing songs. Says, oh, no, no, no. That's Christmas. That's, that's not Easter. And the teacher began to worry, is is anybody in this class, do they not know what Easter is all about? Then finally one little girl, she said, I I know what it is. 
Easter is when Jesus was killed and they put him in a tomb and they left him there for three days. And the teacher said, oh good, finally. At least one kid knows what Easter is all about. And, and, and before she could celebrate or praise the child for their answer, the child went on to say, and then after three days, everybody gathers around the tomb and waits to see if Jesus comes out and sees his shadow. And if he comes out and he sees his shadow, there's gonna be six more weeks of winter. The teacher just hung her head. No, no. Easter is a celebration of the empty tomb. That's what it is. The empty tomb is the foundational bedrock of our faith. To simply put it, I would say it like this. Our faith is grounded in the belief that Jesus died on a cross and three days later, he rose back to life. More specifically, Jesus was crucified on a Friday morning around nine o'clock in the morning. And that was after being up all night going through this you know, crazy trial, this humiliation, if you will. It started the night before. And then as it went through the night, they severely beat Jesus. They mocked him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They, they made him drag his cross all the way out to the place of execution. They nailed his hands and his feet to that cross. And then they raised that cross up for all the world to see. And there Jesus hung on that cross for about six hours. He died about three o'clock that afternoon. They took his body down off the cross and they laid it in a tomb that was very near the place of the execution. He did all of that for you and for me. He gave up his own life so that you, me, and the rest of the world might be saved. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he took on himself, I would say, he bore the full blood force trauma of all the combined sins of the world in that moment on himself. And only a perfect, innocent sacrifice, somebody who was sinless could do that, and that would be Jesus. And that is why right now, including us, millions and millions of Christians all around the world, right now, this very moment, are gathering together to worship and to sing and to celebrate that the tomb is empty, that Jesus came out alive, because that's exactly what happened. They laid his body in the tomb, and three days later, that tomb burst open, and Jesus came back to life. But that's not the only reason we're celebrating today. We are also celebrating the reality that Jesus is still alive and well at this very moment, and that is evidenced today by all of you that he is still active and changing lives. That's what we are celebrating. My faith, my conviction is that Jesus did indeed come back to life. And I am convicted that it is the single most important thing that has ever happened in the history of mankind. Nothing in the world has been more important than that. But even if you don't believe that as strongly as I do today and, and other people do today, I think we can all admit that this idea of somebody willingly laying down their life and sacrificing themselves to save someone else, well, that is powerful. It's very powerful. Foundationally, the empty tomb that was left behind by our risen Savior, it is the bedrock of our faith. And that's why we sing. That's why we clap. That's why we shout. That's why we play our music as best we can to the Lord. That's why we tell anybody and everybody who will listen that he is risen. 
William Sankster is a name that I don't really expect any of you to know right off the top of your head. He was a very prominent preacher back in the, the 20th century um, in the country of Britain. He was really well known as a great communicator of God's word. And he really became known during World War II locally because his church was used as an, as an air raid shelter. You know, when the sirens would go off, people, all kinds of people from every walks of life, they would come and for 1,688 nights, Sangster would minister to people's physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, and, and, uh, and he became pretty well known during that time. Sangster's daughter, Margaret, wrote that in the mid-1950s, after the war, that her father started to have some problems with his voice, and he noticed that his legs started to drag behind him a little bit. He wasn't walking as normal as he used to. So he went to the doctor to try to figure out what was going on, and, and he found out that he had an incurable disease that caused progressive muscular atrophy. And the doctor delivered this devastating news, and he said, here's what's gonna happen to you. There's no stopping this. Your arms and legs are gonna stop working eventually. You're gonna lose the ability to speak. And over time, your body won't be strong enough to swallow anymore. And, and after that, you will die. And when he found this out, history teaches that Sangster threw himself into the ministry completely, figuring, I may not be able to preach like I used to, but I can still write and I can still teach. And so he began to write and publish things. And he, he's recorded that he would pray things like this, Lord, let me stay in the struggle. I don't want out of the struggle. Let me stay in the struggle. Lord, you don't have to make me a general, but give me somebody to lead, somebody to teach about you. And, and that's exactly what he did. And he actually organized a, a large prayer ministry throughout England after his diagnosis. He made a vow when he found out that he was, had this terminal disease. He made a vow that I will never complain about it. And as, the year, as time went on and people started to see his difficulties and they started to express some pity on him, um, he would always respond, I am only in the kindergarten of my suffering. But eventually, eventually, Sangster's legs became useless. And then after that, he completely lost the ability to talk. But he was still able to write. Even though it was very shaky, he could still pick up a pen. And with great effort, he could write. And just a couple of weeks before he passed away, he wrote a letter to his daughter. And in that letter, he wrote this. It is terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice to shout, he is risen. But it would be still more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout it. So we gather joyfully. We shout it. We'll tell whoever wants to listen the greatest news that there is to share, that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is alive and well today and he is still changing lives this day. Easter. Here's how the Bible describes the exact same thing that I've been telling you. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. It says this, this is the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's another name for Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to the other apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. And friends, that's the nuts and bolts of it. I mean, I'm really, that's, that's the nuts and bolts of it. 
The Apostle Paul said, this is of first importance. It's like he's saying, this, what I'm sharing with you, is the most important. But I think there's another question that goes right along with this that we should wonder about and ponder about, think about today. And the question is this, why would anybody be motivated to believe this? To believe that Jesus lived and that he died and that he rose back to life. Why would anybody believe this? Is there any more to this? And the answer is, oh yes. Oh yes, there's lots more. In fact, I would say the best part is what is added to this. There's a great part to the fact that Jesus lived, he died, and rose to life. In fact, one of Jesus' closest friends, his name was Peter, he wrote about this best part. This, is there more to it than this? And, and he wrote about it so eloquently. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1, which is also in the New Testament. This Jesus friend. He said, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So the, the very best part about the resurrection of Jesus, the very best part about this tomb being empty that we are celebrating today is that you and I, every single one of us, can have what Peter calls a living hope. The best part of the resurrection is that, and this living hope that Peter is talking about, it is a direct result of the resurrection of Jesus. That's the only way anybody can have it. So what in the world is this living hope? Is it, if it's the best part of the resurrection, then what is this living hope? Well, we could talk about that for, for many days, but let me just tell you shortly here that a living hope is all about having a different outlook in your life. It's a completely different perspective. We have a different perspective on our world. We have a different perspective on our lives. We have a different way of thinking about the purpose of our lives. We're not the same person anymore once we believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead. Peter has another phrase. He says it's a new birth into a living hope. A new birth. In short, he's like saying because of God's full of mercy and grace, he has given us something. He's made a way possible for us to be brand new. There's other words we attach to this. Uh, born again. New creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Conversion, transformation. These are words that all speak about this new birth into a living hope. It makes us brand new, brand new outlook. And we get to live every one of our days with this very clear, very new understanding, this new way of thinking and this new way of living. And ultimately, it points us in a completely brand new direction. And what exactly is this new direction? Where is this living hope taking us, this best part of the resurrection? Where is it leading to us to? Well, in short, according to Peter and the rest of the Bible, it's leading us to heaven. This living hope is taking us to heaven. Peter uses this word, inheritance. Peter is talking about salvation when he says inheritance. And this inheritance that he's talking about, it's unlike any inheritance that you or I will ever receive in this life. When we think about an inheritance, we think about inheriting some money or some investments or some car or jewelry or belongings or a house. That's when we think of an, an inheritance. 
But that's not the same kind of inheritance that, that uh, this new birth and this new hope and all this stuff that the Bible's talking about. No, no, no. Peter uses words about an inheritance and he describes it this way. It's, it's a never-ending inheritance. He says, it's something that's never gonna perish and it's never gonna spoil and it's never going to fade. And this thing that's never gonna perish, spoil, or fade, that inheritance is right now being kept for you in heaven. So why in the world would anybody ever be motivated to believe that Jesus lived and that he died and that he rose to life? It's because heaven is waiting for those who believe it. Jesus probably said it the most clearly, John 3, 16 and following. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Isn't this the same thing that Peter's talking about? This thing that won't perish, spoil, or fade. This thing that is kept in heaven for you. This inheritance. If you believe in Jesus, you will not perish. He says, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So I come back to this other very important question. Why would anybody believe this? It's because when you do, you have this brand new hope. It's a living hope that when this life is over, we too will be like Jesus Christ who overcame sin's worst penalty, which is death, eternal separation from God. But like Jesus who rose to life, we too can rise. This is his living hope. This is his new birth. We too can rise to everlasting life in heaven. And this is only possible because Jesus did it first. So yeah, we celebrate the empty tomb. It's of first importance and it's taken us somewhere completely different to those who believe heaven. Can I ask you a question today? Do you think about heaven very much? Uh, do you spend a whole lot of time thinking about what happens after the grave? You know, it's something that is a certainty in all of our lives. We will all meet our end one day. Do you think about it very much? Do you search the scriptures very often? and try to understand and know what is heaven going to be like? If, if this living hope is taking me somewhere that never perishes, spoiled, or fades, and, and the Bible talks about it as an inheritance being kept for you in heaven, do you think about it very, very much? What is that homecoming in heaven going to be like one day? You know, I, I mentioned at the beginning of the message that I've had the privilege to serve here as the pastor at New Life for seven and a half years. And as I was getting ready for this message today, I just started thinking about all of the brothers and sisters in Christ who have left this earth in those seven and a half years that I've been the pastor here. And the Lord started kind of flooding my mind with, with names of people. And uh, so Archie Schroyer's name came to my mind. Not all of you are gonna to know today who Archie was, but he was a special man that I wish I had more time to get to know better. But many in our church did. They loved him. He was a wonderful Christian man. I, I, my, Alta Pruitt came to my mind. Alta Pruitt was one of the very first people from our church that I met. She called me on the phone. I'd just become the pastor here. And she introduced herself on the phone and she said, my name is Alta and I have cancer. And if the Lord doesn't intervene, 
Um, I'm not long for this earth. And you're going to do my funeral one day. And since you're going to do my funeral, I figured we should at least get to know one another. (laughs) And so for a number of months, Alta would stop by the church. She and her husband and I went out for lunch a few times and we just got to know one another. And you know, the Lord did not intervene and heal her cancer. But I'm going to tell you something. She is healed today. She's in heaven. Jim Ryan was a name that came to my mind. Jim is probably, probably one of the longest, if not longest um, in time of members here at our church. He was here almost from day one of this church family. David Wilkins came to my mind. Boy, the Lord broke the mold with David. Uh, David was loud and vocal and he loved Jesus. And when I was preaching a sermon, I knew that there was gonna be a few amens. He sat right over here. And I knew that if there was ever a point in my sermon, I needed somebody to yell it, amen. That was coming from David. You sit right over there. He's in heaven now. Bobby Brown's name came to my mind. Jim Kelly's name came to my mind. Jim Kelly and I in 2017 got to go to Jerusalem together and we walked the footsteps of Jesus. And um, he's in heaven now. And one day we will walk the streets of gold together. Um, Jackie Carter, another uh, long-time faithful member of our church here again almost from day one. Chris Benton came to my mind, gone way too soon. Ron Carter, the former minister of this church, good friend of mine, a lot of the reason why I'm here today. He went home to be with Jesus last year. I think about over COVID, we lost some members of our church way too soon, like Matt Sexton and Andrew Harmon. Most recently, Shirley Eastman. Shirley, you're not gonna find a sweeter, dear sister in Christ than Shirley Eastman. And that by no means is a complete list. No, 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 far from it. But I was thinking, they're no longer with us, but one day, there is gonna be this, this grand reunion in heaven celebrated and it'll be the happiest day of our lives where we get to be together again with loved ones and friends and family and other believers who have been cut off from us by death. You want to get excited about heaven? Then sometime you need to sit back and contemplate and I would say even make a list of names of all the people that you are looking forward to seeing one day in heaven. And if you'll write down this list of people that you're looking forward to seeing one day in heaven, I promise you, you're gonna get excited to be there yourself one day. Heaven. Who in your family right now is already there? For me, I would say my dad is already there. I can't wait to see him again. Last week I told you a story in my sermon about uh, about before my father died and he had this very special moment with my two sons and, and um, I was talking to my brother and my sister about it over text message last Sunday after church and we began to talk about dad and, and we shared stories with each other and then it didn't take long but pictures started to be shared over text message and of our dad doing the, the things he loved to do and so uh, if you knew my dad then this would make sense um, there were plenty of pictures being shared between my brother and my sister and I of my dad eating ice cream because he loved eating ice cream and there were pictures of him going to sporting events with his grandkids because he loved going to sporting events with his grandkids. And, and, and my brother sent me a picture of the last time, I believe it was the last time my father was able to physically be in a church and go to church. 
And my brother was a student enough to look over my dad. He's sitting in his wheelchair and he's got his hands raised up in praise. And my brother took out his phone and took a picture of it. I'm so glad he did. And of course, we were sharing pictures of, of my father and our family all going out to eat together because there's not a Williams walk on the earth today that doesn't love food. And we, we fellowshiped plenty over food. We miss him terribly. But the three of us know that we're gonna see him again because he believed in the, that Jesus lived and he died and he rose again. And, and he was a preacher and he preached this message his, his whole life and, and he believed and talked about it often that what's in store for believers is an inheritance that's in heaven that's never gonna perish, spoil, or fade. And he believed that. We believe that. And we know that we're all gonna be together in this grand reunion in heaven one day and we can't wait. So who's on your list? Who's on your list? We're gonna get to meet missionaries one day who died preaching the gospel on the mission field. There's gonna be childhood friends that we knew that died way too young and we will see them in heaven. There's gonna be moms and dads and there's gonna be aunts and uncles and there's gonna be grandparents who are in heaven that you'll get to be reunited with. My great-grandfather, his name was H.C. Williams and he passed away before I was born but he was a preacher like me. And, uh, and, and did you know that he died on a Sunday preaching right in the middle of the sermon, he suffered a stroke and collapsed in front of his whole church and did not recover. And he's in heaven. I'm going to meet him one day. Oh, I've got questions. I've got questions. I'm going to get to meet one day and I don't know who it is, but I'm going to meet the person who introduced somebody at least four generations ago to Jesus in my family and changed the whole trajectory of our family tree. I don't know who that is, but I can't wait to meet him. Who brought Christ to my family? Who changed everything for us? Add to that list that you're keeping all of the interesting people from history that will be there and that you'll get to talk to. Add to that list all of the, the people we're introduced to in the Bible that we're gonna get to interact. Can you imagine what it's gonna be like one day to sit across the table and drink a Diet Coke with David? And there will be Diet Coke in heaven. I, that's, that's in the Bible, I, I've found it. It's a little obscure place, but it's there. It's not there, I'm just kidding. Can you imagine talking to David or, or having a conversation or taking a walk with Elijah? Can you imagine talking to Mary, the mother of Jesus, or or how about one of the disciples, Peter or John or, or any of them? Or, I mean, can you imagine talking with the apostle Paul? Or how about talking to Noah or Abraham or Moses? Can, can you imagine? Who's, who's on your list? How absolutely fascinating is that going to be? And as you're making this list, don't forget to have another list. And this other list is full of all of the names of the people that are wanting you to be on their list? Who are all the people that are hoping you will be in heaven with them one day? And I would encourage you, don't disappoint them. I remember when I was a teenager and uh, uh, my father was about to have open heart surgery, very serious surgery. And, and the night before he came into my bedroom and, and he sat on the edge of my bed and he said, Joe, I want to talk to you for a minute. He said, I'm going into this surgery. I'm not worried about it at all, but it is open heart surgery. And there's always the chance that something could go wrong and I may not live through this thing. 
I'm not worried about it, but if that happens, I want you to know I'm going to be perfectly fine. I'm going to be in heaven, but I want you to make me a promise. Now, I was just a teenager. Teenager. And he said, Joe, if for some reason I don't come home from this, you promise me that you will join me in heaven one day. I promise. You know, my dad came through that surgery just fine, and, and I got to have him for another 29 years after that. But I still intend to keep that promise, you know. I will keep that promise. Because there's going to be a homecoming for the ages one day for those who believe. And when that happens, it will be more joy than you've ever experienced even one time here in this life. And in that moment, you will be more alive than you have ever been before. Who's going to be there with you? Who wants to see you there? There's a preacher by the name of Charles Fuller who once announced that he was going to be preaching the following Sunday on heaven. And he encouraged everybody, come back next Sunday and I'm going to preach on heaven. And, and, and in the week in between, um, he got a letter in the mail from a, an elderly man who was fighting a, a, a really horrible disease. And he just wrote him this, this preacher, this beautiful letter. And I want to share a little bit of that letter with you because he himself was contemplating heaven and he wanted to share with his preacher what he thought. He said, Pastor, next Sunday you are to talk about heaven. I am interested in that land because I have held a clear title to a bit of property there for over 55 years. He said, I did not buy it. It was given to me without money and without price. But the donor purchased it for me at tremendous sacrifice. I am not holding it for speculation since the title is not transferable and it's certainly not a vacant lot. For more than half a century, I have been sending materials out of which the greatest architect and builder of the universe has been building a home for me which will never need to be remodeled nor repaired because it will suit me perfectly individually and it will never grow old. Termites can never undermine its foundation because they rest on the rock of ages. Fire cannot destroy it. Floods cannot wash it away. No locks or bolts will ever be placed upon its doors for no vicious person can ever enter that land where my dwelling stands. Now it's almost completed, almost ready for me to enter in and abide in peace eternally without fear of being rejected. Pastor, there is a valley of deep shadow between the place where I live now and to that which the journey I shall be taking in a very short time. I cannot reach my home in that city of gold without passing through this dark valley of shadows. But I am not afraid because the best friend I ever had went there through that same very long valley long ago and he got rid of all the gloom in it. He has stuck by me through thick and thin since we first became acquainted 55 years ago and I hold his promise in printed form never to forsake me, never to leave me. He will be with me as I walk through this valley of shadows and I shall not lose my way because he is with me. So I hope to hear your sermon on heaven next Sunday from my home, but I have no assurance that I shall be able to do so. My ticket to heaven has no date on it. The journey is not set, but there certainly is no return ticket and I have no bags or tags for baggage. Yes, I am ready to go. And I may not be here while you're talking about heaven next Sunday, but I shall meet you there someday. 
friends, I want you to remember something very significant on this Easter Sunday. And it's simply this. Heaven is going to be a prepared place for prepared people. Heaven is going to be a prepared place for prepared people. Just before Jesus died on the cross, he was having a conversation with the disciples and he told them, he said, I'm not gonna be around much longer. And this greatly troubled his disciples and Jesus wanted to put their hearts and minds at ease, just like he would wanna put our hearts and minds at ease today. And he said this to them in John chapter 14, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Obviously they were a mess over this news. You're leaving? Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house is many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. I want you to think about something. The one who said those words is the very one who was there at the beginning of all creation. He was the one who thought through every single detail of the creation and now he is speaking to his own disciples about a special place that he is preparing for believers. So the one who created the world is also creating this place. So what that means to this is that heaven is not some afterthought. Um, It's not something that was just haphazardly thrown together. No, no, no. Jesus has prepared it. And so since Jesus has prepared it for people, people must prepare themselves for heaven. Consider what John wrote at the very end of the Bible, at the very last page of the Bible. John 22, verse 14, he said, blessed are those who have washed their robes. That's just revelation talk for people who who took the time to prepare themselves are gonna be very happy one day. That's what he's saying. They have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Nobody makes it to heaven by accident. Blessed are those who have washed their robes. Very blessed are those who have been intentional with this, who have prepared in person to go to a prepared place. This preparation begins with this belief that Jesus lived and he died and he rose to life. So heaven is gonna be a wonderful place that is prepared for those who have prepared to be there. But on the flip side of that, sad's gonna be the day for those who do not prepare. They will miss out on this incredible homecoming that I've tried to describe to you today, but even more than that, they will miss out on seeing their savior face to face one day. And that would be the greatest tragedy of them all. I've dedicated my life to knowing and understanding the scriptures and to live by them and to hopefully communicate them in a way that is understandable and applicable. And as I've studied the scriptures, everything that I've studied leads me to this conclusion that in the Bible, it makes this grand invitation. 
It's an invitation to anyone who would want to come and be a part of this are welcome to come and be a part of this. Everything in the Bible leads me to that conclusion. All are invited. A few verses later in the last page of the Bible, John said this, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to this grand homecoming in heaven. And let me just say this to you, friends. Make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And if you haven't started on this incredible journey with the Lord, now is the time to make that crucial decision. Make sure that you will be allowed to enter into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Heaven is for everybody who wants to come, and the invitation is there. It is a prepared place for prepared people who believe that Jesus lived and he died and he rose to life. Don't miss out on this glorious homecoming. Don't miss out on it or trade it off for something that is temporary in this life. Lord, I just pray for our church family. I pray for all those who are here, Lord, that we will have a clear vision of what you have in store for those who believe that you lived and that you died and that you rose to life. And Lord, I pray that every single one of us in this room comes to that belief. That Lord, I pray that just in the only way that you can, would you just draw near and say, come. Come to believe this. Come and be a part of my family. Come. I want you in here. Come. All can be forgiven. Come. I've prepared a place for you that is beyond your wildest imagination. Lord, we thank you that the word says that no eye has seen, no mind can conceive what it is you have prepared for those who believe. And so, Lord, may we be prepared people who look forward to that prepared place where we'd be reunited with everybody for all eternity who has believed as well. And Lord, I pray that our sights and minds are set on things above and our citizenship that is in heaven and that we will not fall in love with the things of this world that will not survive. So Lord, we love you and we lift up your name on high in heaven. And Lord, we praise you in advance for this incredible, incredible homecoming. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet and let's worship our Lord one more time before we're done. And let's just praise him for what he is doing.